The following audio is from West Pines Community Church. For more information about West Pines, visit us online at westpines.org. You can join us live Sunday mornings at 9.45 a.m. or 11.30 a.m. in Pembroke Pines, Florida, or online at westpines.org. Typically, when I study during the week, I like to listen to music in the background, and or maybe sometimes I'm just sitting at my desk trying to crank out some work, and I just got to turn on some music. And I listen to different kinds of music when I study, but when I sometimes when I really need to get the blood pumping, you know, I just need to kind of get things going. I'll listen to one of my favorite things to listen to is soundtracks of movies. And so I'll listen to, and I particularly like sometimes very dramatic movie soundtracks. So it's like the soundtrack from like Born Identity or like Transformers or Lord of the Rings or something. And I, like, I turn that on and all of a sudden like everything I'm doing is so important, okay? It's like the words I'm reading are going to change the world right now. And it just kind of gets me psyched up. So sometimes I turn that on. And I use different programs. Right now I'm using a program called Spotify. Any Spotify users out there? Anyone use Spotify? Um, Spotify is a little bit different than like Pandora because Pandora just plays kind of randomly based on the mix that you create. But Spotify, it has the users of Spotify have put together playlists that you can search for and find a, a user's playlist and listen, to, and listen to that particular list. So I came in a couple of days ago into the office, I had some studying to do, and I just, I kind of needed to get the blood flowing, I kind of needed to get things going, so I, I, I look through Spotify, and I'm looking for, like, the most dramatic, epic movie score that I can find, and I find one, and all of a sudden, it's just, it's like a Hans Zimmer, like one of those, one of those conductors like that, and one of those composers, and I play it, and it's, like, dramatic, and I'm, like, in the zone, I'm studying things, and, like, my fingers are flying on the, on the keyboard, I'm just, I'm in the zone, and, um, and all of a sudden, like, about a little while in, I realized for about a minute that the song has changed, and in the middle of this playlist, that song, Call Me Maybe, you know what song I'm talking about? <laughs> Who sings that song? What's the person's name? That person right there, okay. <laughs> the song breaks in, and it, I mean, it totally kills my mood. I'm like studying up, it's in, like it's intense, and all of a sudden, Call Me Maybe, like a minute in, I'm like, what am I listening to? Like, what is that? Who would put that in this particular playlist? What an idiot. I'm like, I'm mad. I'm like clicking hard on my, on my mouse. I'm changing it. I'm like, I'm finding a new playlist. So I actually found one. It was like 50 most epic soundtracks ever. And I'm like, that's what I'm listening to. So I click it. It's like the Mission Impossible music is playing and I'm back in my zone. And then and all of a sudden, um, a few minutes later, like right in the middle of the song, it stops and a Katy Perry song comes on. Like, are you kidding me? What is wrong? Spotify, and I'm thinking to myself, someone has broken Spotify. Like, somebody needs to notify the International Corporation of Spotify and tell them it's broken. What I didn't realize, it's about 30 minutes before, Pastor Dan (laughs) and his twisted little mind had come into the office and he had signed into the West Pines Spotify account And when he had signed in on his phone, it notified him that I was listening to Spotify and it gave him these two options. You can interrupt Spotify or you can control it. So I'm listening to the, I'm playing Spotify. I am trying to study the word of God, mind you. And Pastor Dan, his sinister self, just sitting in his office, 
he's playing all these crazy songs that are coming through that are completely killing the vibe. And it kind of all crescendo to this one moment that just when another one of our staff people comes in the door, they're coming in to check on something. They open the door to my office. Some of you know uh, Noreen. She, she works on our, our staff, runs the environment, and our, our strategic coordinator. She opens the door, and right about then, baby, you're a firework is blaring from my computer. And she looks at me like, is this what you listen to when you study? And um, at that point, if you try and deny it, it just looks worse. So what is there to say? Yes, that's what I listen to. I just needed to pick me up this morning. I need to feel like a firework. Noreen, that's why I'm listening to it. Okay, now, when this started to happen, by the way, Dan peeks his head in later with this stupid grin on his face, like he was so proud of himself. Anyway, um, when, I, when this is happening, uh, I am assuming, okay, that Spotify has broken, uh, someone has hijacked Spotify, maybe my computer's broken, and I'm kind of having like a freak out about how terrible Spotify is, and there really was a much more logical uh, reason for this, there's a much more logical cause. It's Dan's sinister mind is the much more logical cause for this that I should have known. Now, this, there's a principle here, a common principle all throughout, the cre- all throughout creation, very simple. You see this every single day, every single day. With every effect, there's a cause. There's a cause behind every single effect. Sometimes we try and make those causes more complicated than they are. Sometimes they're very, very simple and very, very obvious. It's something we see every day. The reason this domino tipped over is because the domino before it tipped it over. It, cause and effect. It's one of the most basic scientific things that, is, that we observe every single day, all throughout our lives. So elementary, cause and effect. Yet that truth, that principle, observable principle, is the key underneath probably the most profound question human being could ever ask. It's underneath one of the most explosively provocative concepts in the universe. It's the simple answer behind one of the things that's most hotly debated. And it's one of those things that if you pop the hood on humanity and you look to see how we're wired, that explains one of the most important truths we could ever understand about ourselves. We're going to be looking at Genesis chapter 1 this morning. We're starting right in the beginning. It's the first page of scripture, Genesis chapter 1. If you turn there with me, you can also find it on our uh, live event on YouVersion. If you have the YouVersion Bible app, you can find our live event there. It's also going to be up on the screens. It's in your bulletin as well. Genesis chapter 1, it's the very beginning. It's the first page, beginning of the entire story. Look what it says. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Now let's just work through this here. It's very obvious very straightforward. It's not a huge surprise that the Bible says this. This isn't something you come to church, you're like, whoa, I didn't realize that was in there. It's very straightforward. It's saying God created the heavens and the earth. In fact, it starts with in the beginning. Think about what that means. What that's actually saying is in the very beginning, before there was such a thing as time, it's the beginning. 
It's the beginning of time. The idea that, of an almighty, infinite God is that he is outside of time. That's hard to get inside of our brains. And it's saying that he even begins time. So he begins beginnings. Invented the concept of beginnings. He's outside of time and he begins creation. He makes the heavens and the earth. What it's describing by saying heavens and earth, it's summarizing. In other words, he made everything. Everything that there is. Every particle of matter. Everything that's in existence. He made it. Then it goes into this verse, and it's kind of interesting. Uh, verse 2 is kind of interesting, poetic. It talks about how God is hovering over the waters. And it says, the earth is formless and, with, and, and void. And it's saying, okay, well, that's interesting. So was earth there? Did God just start with earth? Was earth there? Well, remember, they're not thinking in terms of earth as in the planet as opposed to Saturn, okay? They don't, this time in history, when this is written, there's not a, a developed idea of planets, Earth is meaning very generally like the world where humans dwell. It's just very, very general. And look at how it's describing it very poetically. It's saying it's, it's formless. It's, with, it's void. It's basically describing just kind of chaos. God enters in. It's just kind of this chaos and he brings order to it. So think about it like this. Not only did God create every particle of matter that's in the universe, but he also begins all of the, the structure, all of the laws, all of the natural laws of the universe. So God's not entering in like, okay, how do I work around gravity here? Okay, how do I make something that operates within the law of gravity? That doesn't predate God. How do I work, okay, light and the particles work this way with light and how do I work within that? No, 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 that's not how it works. He invented all of the laws, everything he put into place. God is inventing. He's inventing, inventing. There's nothing else. It's God and nothing. So you're saying it's God and like a, like a vacuum? No, there's no vacuum. It's just God. God outside of time. God eternal in a way that we can't fathom in our brains. Well, that kind of sounds lonely. Was God lonely? No, he's not lonely. He's God. He's not lonely. He's not bored. He's not looking for something to do. It's God existing outside of time. He begins time. He creates the universe. He creates everything in it. All the laws, all the order, all the structure. He puts everything in place. He makes all of creation. Here's another verse. It's just really beautiful. It's actually at the other end of scripture. I'm just going to pull up here on the screens. Listen to this. It's Revelation um, chapter 4, the other end of the Bible. Look at what it says. Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things. And by your will they existed and were created. This is saying something very simple, but extremely provocative and extremely explosive and extremely profound. God is the creator of everything. Now I wish we had time to go through the entire first chapter of Genesis. Uh, For the sake of time we're not going to, but... It goes through each part of creation and it talks about how God in the span of a day creates each part of creation. And here's what I want you to see as we go through this. I just want you to see the pattern. We're just going to read through the first two days for the sake of time. But I want you to see that there's a pattern. There's phrases that are repeated. There's like a structure and how it's described. So keep going with me. Look at verse 3. Genesis 1 verse 3. We're going to look at day 1. Look what it says. And God said, let there be light. 
And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters. And let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven. And there was evening and there was morning the second day. Now I want you just to look at those first two days and I just want you to see the pattern. You see how it starts? It says, God said. Beginning of each day, it says, God said. It's saying God is speaking things into existence. He's speaking them into existence from nothing. It says each day begins with let there be. So he's speaking things and you see this pattern, let there be. And then it will tell us, and it was. And then sometimes you'll see God in some, most of the days he names it, which is really interesting because it's, it's kind of showing that God has ownership and authority and rights over it because he names it. And he names it, and then, he, and then most of the time through the days, you see he says it's good. And then at the end, it says there is evening and there was morning. And you go through each one of these days, and you see that God is creating different things. So he creates light, and then he creates the expanse and the heavens and the earth. And then one day he creates plants. And there's all the plants on the earth. And it says there was even, it was evening and morning on, on the next day. And then the next day, it talks about how the, the seas, he makes teeming with life in the oceans creates birds flying through the air. Same structure. And then you see he makes animals to run around on the ground, all different kinds. He makes animals. Then it says, and then he makes man one day. And then at the end, on, on the seventh day, it says that he rests. And it goes through these seven days describing how in, in this kind of beautiful, symmetrical pattern, it beautifully describes how he makes everything that is. Now let's talk about this for a second. It's pretty safe to talk about that here. That's kind of a safe concept to say God created everything. I mean, we can talk about that here and it's safe. And for the most part, I mean, you may be here still wrestling with whether you believe it or not. And that's great. I'm glad that you're here. Um, but for the most part, this is a pretty safe. It's, you expect it in church. God's a creator. You expect this passage. Maybe you've known a little bit about the seven-day thing and how he made it in seven days. And that's pretty safe. But let's just be honest. How many environments do we go in every day where if you said you believe this, you'd look like, the person would look at you like you had another head growing off of your body? I mean, let's be honest. I mean, how many environments do we go in where just simply saying, yes, I believe that the universe is a product of God's creation, God created it. I mean, how many environments do we walk in where it, it, that person would just be like, are you serious? That's what you believe? You're so naive to believe that? I mean, Maybe some of you have friends or coworkers that, and maybe they're like a science hobbyist. They've watched a couple documentaries, or they took a class once, and they, they read some nerdy blogs. And they're just waiting with all this data. They're just waiting for someone to say they believe that God created the world, and they're just going to pounce and just dump all this data on top of you and be like, how could you possibly believe that? Students, you're, you're particularly on my, my heart this morning, whether you're a middle school, high school, or college student, graduate student, because you're going to go into environments and the idea that God created the universe, it just, they're going to look at you like that's crazy, you're naive, you're gullible, that's insane. They're going to look at you, how could you believe that? Some of you are going to have professors 
that they're going to see it as their mission to kind of draw out which of you were taught that God was created the universe. They want to draw that out because they want to make an example of you. Some of you are going to face this. They want to make an example of you because it's their job in their minds to fix you. Because you were taught that God created the universe and that is, according to their science, absolutely absurd. So what, I mean, what's the, the deal here? I mean, this is really a, a powerful concept. God is the creator. Well, think about what's at stake. I mean, what's at stake? Whether, if God's the creator, if he started everything, then here's what that means. That means that you and I, we are creatures created by a personal God, a personal creator. And if he invented each one of us, he's saying, I invented you for this purpose. He he intentionally wired us the way we are and wired us individually the way we are. Or the other perspective would be like, there's no creator. This universe is a product of just a random boiling over of some natural laws that are working themselves out. That means you are just a meaningless product of some laws of, of nature. You're, you're just, I mean, the other alternative, there's a creator or you and I are about as valuable as a blade of grass or speck of sand. Like there's, it's just as, just as significant when a human being dies and when a leaf falls from a tree. That's what's at stake here. That's why this is such a profound question. So what do we do with this? I mean, how, how do we answer this? How do we deal with this in our culture? Because our culture, you can see it. It's debated. It's discussed. It's discussed in multiple different contexts. What do we do with this idea of God as a creator? Well, there are many scientists that in their minds, they are trying to show, display, prove a world that doesn't need God. That's what they want to do. They want to prove a world that doesn't need God. Because if there's a God, then he has rights. He has a purpose for the universe and rights to the universe. And that has implications. So how can we discover, how can we prove that there's a universe that doesn't need a God to create it? So for a long time, most scientists that were atheists that wanted a godless universe, they chose to believe that the universe was eternal. No one created it. There was no beginning. They wanted to just avoid the concept of a beginning. It's just always been here. And so atheistic scientists would try and promote, no, it was just like this. It's always been like this. We don't really know why, but it's just always been here. And they were trying to avoid the idea that someone began this universe. Because if someone, if the universe has a beginning, then it has someone who began it. it. If it had a start, then it had someone who tipped the first domino. Okay, let's put it like this. Let's imagine that you uh, just got home from work. You were working late. Let's say you're, you're living alone. You pull in. It's dark out. And uh, you're worried a little, bit about, a little bit about Rover. He hasn't gone for a walk yet, so you're a little worried about what you're going to find. So you pull in. It's dark. You go get the mail. You're kind of just mindlessly walking up to your front door. You're kind of sorting through your mail. And, and you get the door. You unlock it. You open it up. Close the door behind you, turn the deadbolt, walk into the kitchen, and you're just kind of slapping mail down on the kitchen table, and then you hear a noise. Okay, what was that? And you say, okay, and you put the mail down, and you walk back around the corner, and you see the front door is open. And then the scary music starts. And you're like, okay, what just happened? Okay, now what is your immediate conclusion? 
Well, man, I don't know. I did I first you're saying, did I I close that, right? I closed it and deadbolted. I remember specifically doing that. Okay, so then this has opened. Okay, now what's your immediate conclusion? Are you like, okay, let me think about how that could have opened by itself. Let me just take some time and I call in some physicists and some scientists, you know, get my friend who's a science major on the phone. I mean, is it possible? Could like an earthquake just kind of tip over the latch and could wind come and turn the knob and suck the door open? No. The logical conclusion is there is an axe murderer in your house. Okay? People that are your friends, they knock on the door and ring the doorbell. If they creep into your house and leave the door open, they're up to no good, okay? Your conclusion is, I'm not going to consult scientists. There's no time. I'm going to run screaming out into my neighborhood, dialing 911 on the way. Okay, that's your instinctual conclusion. When you see something like that, you see a latch turned, a door open. There's an obvious cause, a human there's in, someone intelligent. It's not Rover didn't do it. It wasn't the wind. It wasn't an earthquake. It wasn't some scientific process. It's pretty obvious. Something complex enough that can turn it up and open it up, that's going to be a human. Okay, here's why scientists wanted to think that it was eternal. Because if there was a beginning point, as you keep working back, well, what caused that? Well, what caused that? Well, where did that come from? What caused that? As you're working back, you have to have a first cause. Let's look at it from another angle. Let's say... You get chosen by NASA, NASA, excuse me, NASA, I don't know what NASA is, it's like a place in the Bahamas. The Bahamas call you and they want you, I don't know why. NASA causes you, calls you, I'm just, I'm done, I'm going to pack it up. Okay, the people that deal with space, they call you and they say, you are so smart, we, we, are, we want you to be the first person to fly to Mars. And you say, finally, they've realized how smart I am. They want me for Mars. And you say, really, no one has ever been to Mars. And they're like, no one has been to Mars. You're the first person. You're like, literally, like, the Soviets didn't get to Mars back in the day and hide it from us. No, there's no humans in, in Mars. We're going to fly you in a rocket 35 million miles, and you're going to get to Mars, and you'll be the first person. You're like, awesome. So you go through the training, you strap yourself, the big day comes, you strap yourself into the rocket, you fly into outer space, like 200 years later, you land on Mars. You get out, you're in your space suit, you're walking on Mars, and you're looking, I mean, this is, this is my planet. You like sign your name in the sand, you put a flag down, you know, you, you put a little plaque down, you're taking some selfies with your space camera, okay, you're, you're there, you're the first person. So you're roaming around, this is my terrain, you're on Mars, and all of a sudden you've been wandering around for a while, and all of a sudden you see a little glint. You're like, what is that? And you walk over some Martian hill, and you go down, you see in the sand, and you look down, and there in the sand is an iPhone, what do you immediately think? Are you thinking, well, over the course of billions of years, maybe enough meteors hit this Mars and it just compacted some sand in some crystal clear glass. And then maybe through some scientific processes we don't know, it made a little chip that then it fit and then they're all over Mars and it kept getting beaten by earthquakes and they just start moving towards each other and then they like fit into place and Power's on. I can't believe it. Wow, how did this happen naturally? Is that what you're thinking? Clearly, you're not the first person on Mars. 
So obvious, your initial instinct is not, let me figure out how this happened naturally. You have to work around the most clearly obvious answer. Some other intelligent person brought this incredible complex device and laid it on Mars. Now can we agree that this universe is immensely more complex than an iPhone? I was expecting more nodding, okay? Like, I really love my iPhone, man. You just don't understand. This universe is immensely more complicated than an iPhone. And as you keep working back and working back, say, what caused that? What caused that? You come to the unavoidable. I mean, there's just a blaringly obvious solution that if there was a beginning, there had to be someone who began the whole thing. So scientists, to get around that, they'd say, okay, but it was eternal. It never had a beginning. It's just always happened. And then as they were studying, the science got really inconvenient. In about the 1920s, they were looking out into space, and they have more and more advanced telescopes, and they're looking out, and they're seeing that the other galaxies that they're watching are moving away from each other. And moving away from Earth. And over the next couple decades, they try and figure out, you know, what does that mean? And they're realizing the universe is expanding. Which means, if you put it in reverse, and you go this way, it all comes down to a tiny little point. Which means that there was a beginning point for the universe. So, so many scientists were like, well, maybe they're moving for other reasons. And for decades, they're trying to avoid this conclusion that it had a beginning. And finally, scientists said, okay, no, at some point, it all comes in. And here's what they believe. They said, they, they now believe, they'll say that it, all of, everything exists, all matter, all particles in all of the galaxies came together into one infinitely dense particle, one little point. They say that point was a billion, trillion, trillionth of a centimeter. And everything was in that. That's not, imagine just crumpling our planet into a billion, trillion, trillionth of a centimeter. It's not just the planet. They're saying it's the entire, not just Saturn also and our sun, not just our solar system, not just the Milky Way. They're saying every galaxy. And we know, we, we estimate there's maybe 100 billion galaxies that are observable. They're saying all of them come together in one infinite, tiny little point, a billion, trillion, trillionth of a centimeter. And at some point it was like that and there was a big bang. It just exploded and it was flinging galaxies in every direction. And so they would say, okay, it was a big bang. But that's problematic if you want a godless universe. Because where did that particle come from? And who ignited it and made it explode? I mean, you're saying that there was nothing, nothing. It's not space, not a vacuum, there's nothing. And then, there's this tiny little particle. And then all of a sudden it just explodes. It's illogical. It's It's unscientific to think that something comes from nothing with everything we observe on this planet. There's always a cause to every effect. And for millennia, thinkers have been using what they call the cosmological argument. It's this very elegant argument that for, for millennia, thousands of years, thinkers have been coming back to this saying, look, in the end, as you keep going back, there's got to be an original cause. Someone has to tip the first domino. In other words, the very fact that there is a universe 
points to someone who had to start it in and of itself. To get around that conclusion that someone, some intelligent designer put this unbelievably extravagant, complex universe together is just to try and circumvent this unbelievably obvious answer. So they come up with other theories. Well, maybe the universe, it's constantly kind of breaking off into other universes and there's, and there's multiple universe theory where, it's, where every time there's, there's things moving out and breaking out and the universe is like a bubble and it like births other bubbles and there's constantly multiple universes and different dimensions and, and you know, to get to another universe, maybe that's where black holes go and it's birthing another universe. Because that's easier to believe. An infinite particle, because that doesn't require any faith to believe that. Now, maybe there's some truth to that. But isn't it working so hard to get around the most obvious truth? They say it's naive to believe that it's logical that if there's a beginning, there's someone who had to begin that plan. Wow, it just seems like science, though. It seems like today people are saying, well, science versus God. It's like there's science or God, and you can pick which route and that's one of the most troubling, most disappointing, frustrating lies of our culture. Some of the greatest scientists in history were, were believers and Christians and they were studying science. Why? Because they were exploring their God's creation. See, science is, science is not at odds with God. Science is, is a wonderful tool. Man's feeble attempts to figure out God's glorious creation. Science at its root can be a powerful act of worship. It doesn't have to be at odds with God at all. Well, what about these scientists that said it's just stupid to believe in God? Look, I'm, I'm not a scientist. I'm not to debate a scientist. That, that's not for my place. There's other incredible Christian scientists that can do that. But here's what I would be willing to step in and a debate about is when science is made into a religion, where science is looked like as if it's some kind of um, infallible, unified whole. And the reality is that science is constantly changing and disagreeing. I was, I was watching an interview with um, a, a foremost scientist. He's on the cutting edge of string theory. He, uh, according to him, wrote the equation for string theory and he was bragging. I mean, the whole, there's whole generations of textbooks that need to be rewritten now. And I was saying, you realize what you're saying? You're exposing how fallible science is. I mean, think about it. Um, let's just use this one example with science. How about the lobotomy? Do you remember the lobotomy? Remember hearing about that? Here's what the lobotomy is. I'm going to tell it to you in graphic detail. Lobotomy was a physical procedure that they would do in the early 20th century for people who are struggling uh, with depression for one of the psychiatric um, disorders they would treat. And so they would, what they would do, one doctor in particular, he made this famous, he would make the patient go unconscious through electric shock therapy till they were unconscious. Then he would take an instrument like an ice pick and he'd pull back their eyelid and slide the ice pick uh, under the eyelid but over their eyeball, behind their eyeball, and then take a hammer and hammer it through the back of the the eye socket up into the skull until it was touching the, the connectors of the brain and then he'd swish it around to break up the connectors of the brain. I'm trying not to pass out just describing this to you, okay? They'd say as he would do this, trained doctors and nurses would pass out. Then he would pull it out and he'd do the other eye, uh, underneath the other eye and he'd hammer it in. 
You say, that's crazy. They say somewhere around 40,000 people got a lobotomy. And they gave him a Nobel Prize for coming up with it. Luckily, science has advanced since then. You know, um, Sigmund Freud, along with many other psychiatrists, he used to advocate cocaine as a wonder drug to heal many things, including depression. And he said, I can tell you from personal experience, he wrote that he'd take a little cocaine every morning to help heal him from some uh, psychological issues he was going through. Sounds like a good plan. Glad to hear that, Sigmund Freud. Okay, science is fallible. It doesn't make for a good God. And some of you are going to walk into a classroom and you're going to have some scientist that's going to intellectually try and intimidate you. It's going to call you naive and it's going to say, you should believe science as if science is a unified whole that, that some greater being, as if it's a God that answers all questions. And it's not. There is one almighty living God and science is our feeble, fallible attempts to figure out his glorious creation. Maybe if you're here and you're saying, I want to study science, awesome. We need godly Christian scientists out there. Continue that and let it spur you on to wonderful worship. All right, but what do we do when it seems like they've proven scientifically that things in the Bible aren't true? I mean, then what do we do? Well, the first thing I'd say is um, I don't trust science so much to immediately freak out because it's always changing and disagreeing with each other. And so I stay calm. Um, if I'm interested, I might explore it, but I don't let it shake me on something that's that, that I stand on that's unshakable. Science textbooks may change every generation, but this stays the same. All right, but what about what we just read, Genesis chapter one? I mean, it says that the universe was created in, in seven days. I mean, what do we do with that? I mean, literally, what do we do with, with that passage? Well, here's what I wanna just share with you about this passage this morning. There's a couple different ways that evangelical Christians interpret Genesis 1. Now, here's what I mean by evangelical Christians. Evangelical Christians, which would be like our church, are Christians that believe wholeheartedly that this, that the Bible is the inerrant, infallible word of God. If it's in here, we believe it. So, evangelical Christians interpret this passage differently. One, pa one way of interpreting it is they read it, God created the universe in seven days. And they say, okay, that's what it says. The universe was creating in seven days, and so that's what I believe. And there's some actual, what's called young earth, young earth scientists that actually study Genesis 1. They believe it's made in, in seven days, which means the earth is much younger than many scientists think. And so then they go out and they've done research, and they've found that there's some fascinating evidences for a really young earth, that maybe it's not billions of years old, and maybe it's thousands of years old. That's one perspective. But there are other evangelical Christian scholars, Bible scholars. They believe the Bible is the inerrant, infallible word of God. If it says it, I believe it. That look at Genesis 1 and they say, man, look at the beauty of this passage. Look at the structure. Look at how it's repeated. It's beautiful. It's rich imagery. It's beautiful poetry. And it's proclaiming a profound, provocative truth that God is the creator. And they, say, and they would say, I don't want to force this passage to say something it's not. And they say, it's forcing this passage to say that God literally created the world in seven days. They're saying, that's not what this passage is trying to tell us. It's trying to beautifully paint this picture of this awe-inspired moment in history that we can barely imagine that God is the creator. Well, wait a minute. Does that mean that they don't believe the Bible literally? 
Well, what they're saying is, let the Bible cue us as to when it's speaking literally. So they'd say in the same way when you open up the 23rd Psalm and you see the Lord is my shepherd, no Christian thinks that God is actually a shepherd standing up in heaven with a shepherd's staff. We know the Bible's cueing us. That's beautiful imagery. Psalm 91, when it says, we are under the, all, the wings of the Almighty. It's not that we all of a sudden now believe that God literally has wings. No, we know the passage. We know that that passage is meant to be figurative. Well, isn't that like picking and choosing? Isn't that like a slippery slope? Well, not if you're an evangelical Christian. Because you'd say, okay, when the Bible says it's literal, then I take it literally. Like when Luke says, I am providing you a historical account of Jesus' life. That means when I read in the book of Luke that Jesus did miracles, he really did miracles. When he walked on water, I I believe he walked on water. When When he healed the sick, when he rose from the dead, I believe he rose from the dead because Luke is saying this literally happened and there is another perspective that looks at Genesis 1 and says, I see this as as incredible poetry. I don't want to force it to say something it's not. I'm not going to import my science questions on this. What this is saying is that God is the creator, and that's a provocative question. There's others that say, no, I, I think it's trying to tell us he literally created it in seven days. Both believe the Bible is the absolute unchanging truth. Now, here's the reality. The age of the earth, it's not a cardinal doctrine of the Christian faith. We're going to disagree about that in our church. We don't have an official position about that in our church. But there's one thing we do all agree on. There's a creator. There's one thing that all Christians have agreed on. There is an almighty sovereign God who is our creator. And the implications of that are immense. As a wrap up here, I want to just give you three quick implications of that that are unbelievably powerful. I just want you to write these three things down just really quick. If he's the creator, then here's the first thing, that we are wired for awe. Like a painter who paints a painting, and we look at that, and we're like, wow, he's gifted. So when we look around the creation, we are in awe at who our God is. Maybe you're struggling right now, feeling a little dry, feeling like you're not very awestruck by who God is. Then maybe one thing you can do is the discipline of doing what Christians have done throughout the centuries. Go out and be in creation and use that as a springboard to worship. Look at that sunrise and say, God, that came out of your creativity. Look at this nature. This is, this is an expression of your thoughts, what you thought was beautiful. We're wired for awe at his creation. Here's the second thing. You are wired to belong. If he's the creator, that means that he owns everything. I want to read this verse to you, Psalm 24, verse 1. Go ahead and pull that up. The earth is the Lord's, the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. If he's a creator, then we belong to him. He owns every molecule of our bodies, every cell in our bodies. He owns everything. And if he owns everything, then he has rights to everything. Like an inventor deserves to have a patent, like someone may deserve to have a copyright, God has rights over everything in the universe. That means we're his And sometimes things short-circuit in our lives and we say, no thanks, I'm going to do things my way. And we forget that we belong to him. We're wired for all, we're wired to belong, and here's the last thing, you're wired as a creature. Sometimes the way that we short-circuit, if we could pop the hood, one of the things we could learn about ourselves is that we're a creature, we're not intended to be a god. 
And sometimes things short circuit because we're trying to control everything around us, trying to control my life, my plan, control these people, control these people, my friends, my family, my kids. I'm trying to control my spouse. I'm trying to control everything around me because I'm trying to play God and things will short circuit in our lives. You're wired to trust, to submit to an almighty God who cares for you. Maybe you're here this morning and you're wrestling with this idea of a creator. You're wrestling, like, man, this has been one of those things I've struggled with. I just don't know, and and my mind's got a lot of things going through it. There's a lot of things I've heard I've got to unpack and I've got to think through. Let me just remind you what one famous, historically famous mathematician, his name is Blaise Pascal. He's a a French mathematician, invented the calculator for one and many other theories that modern math is built on. And one of the things he's famous for is what's called Pascal's wager. He's a Christian. And he said this. He said, I just want you to think about this. He said, every single human being is making a wager with their life. They're wagering whether there is a creator or there is not a creator. That's the wager every human being lives. And the stakes of that wager is eternity. And he says, basically coming from the perspective of a mathematician, he says, if you're wagering isn't it at least worth it to stop and consider the possibility of a creator? All things aside, just on that wager alone, isn't it worth stopping and realizing that there's a creator? Isn't it just worth, with all the sides pulling in different directions, when we realize the stakes, isn't it just, maybe just on those facts alone, it's worth taking a step of faith, saying, I don't have everything worked out, but I'm ready to take a step of faith. And Maybe this morning you're wrestling and you're like, look, I... I don't know how to unpack all the things that have happened in my life and all the thoughts, but I'm ready to take a step of faith today. And not just simply to believe that there is a God, but do you realize the God that the Bible's describing is a God that loved you so much that he sent his son to die on the cross for you? He loves you. He's got a plan for your life. Would you take a step of faith and say, God, I believe you and I believe what you did through Jesus to save me. Maybe that's you this morning. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? If that's you and you want to take that step of faith, just pray this quietly in your heart to God. Say, God, thank you for sending your son to die for me. I realize I'm your, I'm your creature. I'm your creation. I belong to you. Thank you for loving me so much. You want to reconcile and forgive me. I offer myself to you. Thank you for saving me in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening. For more resources and to check out other teaching series, please visit our website at westpines.org. If you would like to speak with someone about beginning a relationship with Jesus or ask any questions you have about this teaching, please call us at 954-432-0321 or you can email us at podcast at westpines.org.